Ah, thank you. Well, God bless you, everyone. Thank you so much, Justin, for that intro. And yes, we do. We spin together. In fact, just to make it sound even more manly, our little spin class WhatsApp chat group is called Saddle Club. That's what we do, where we share memes of what goes on. Uh, I don't know if you did, I was, tr- I was fully trained into everything you were saying. Uh, you referenced my muscular chest, but did you reference that why is because I was wearing rosemary? Did you actually add that bit in or you just said my chest and then you went on to other things? Well, that's why uh, Justin was referring to my chest because I'm wearing this. All I can smell right now is a lamb roast. My dad brought this in for me, and uh, he, he's ministering over in Lifehouse this morning. And I, I'm just standing here in worship. Uh, beautiful time of worship, by the way. Thank you, Emily and the team uh, who led us, Jono, and, and uh, all the guys up here. That was fantastic. Um, but yes, I, I haven't had breakfast, and I, I can, I'm, I'm salivating up here. So uh, I'm eager to get into the Word, and I won't hold uh, you for long, but I really hope that today that you do go out full. Uh, full in your spirit, uh, full in your mind, full in your heart, uh, full with the things that God has put us on this earth to do. I love this uh, Matthew chapter five through to Matthew chapter seven bit of the Bible. If you are, uh, if you, your Bible has the red letters that uh, show you that that's Jesus speaking, you'll find that throughout that whole book, uh, those three chapters, uh, it is red. It is dominated. That's basically all there is. As Jesus uh, brings in a new value system. As Jesus brings in a new understanding of the way His people are going to be called to live. They're not going to be a people who lived the way once or everyone previously has. This is going to be a whole new move in the world. And it's the one that we are still a part of today. I love the way Justin referenced this. Friends, we are not ushering in some progressive thing that we have made up. We are people who are staying true to the old ways, the ways that we did not instigate. It's the ways that... Jesus himself instigated and as we align with his way not only do we become his disciples but friends we live in the freedom that he promised us this is not a have to life this is a get to life we don't have to be here on a Sunday morning I've never felt an obligation to be at church except for when I was a teenager and my parents made me When the revelation of who Jesus Christ truly is came alive in my heart in a personal way, mate, you couldn't keep me out of the space. Because this is where God's presence resides, not in some freaky thing like only in this place, but no, He inhabits the praises of His people. You know, this environment that gets created when we gather together on a Sunday or whatever day it might be, the day and the time's not relevant, but what gets created is a little taste of what we're going to be experiencing for all of eternity. What an exciting thing to consider that. And uh, I, I love, uh, just, just before I read this passage, we're going to read from Matthew chapter 5, talking about salt and light this morning. But just before I do, i just got to uh, just reinforce what Justin's already said from C&I to Justin and Anna. You know, uh, you don't know what it's like to be a parent until you're a parent. Agreed? You can love kids before you're a parent. And uh, i got friends that, you know, young, young ones coming through that are awesome babysitters and they tell me that they're going to be a great parent because they're an awesome babysitter and I smile and I hug them. Say, so come close. It's going to be okay. They've got no idea what I'm talking about, but they will one day. Um, 
it, it's really hard to explain uh, to someone who hasn't carried a, a ministry responsibility of uh, senior pastoring uh, to know what that responsibility is. It, it, I assure you it doesn't make uh, you better than anyone else. It just makes you appointed for a responsibility uh, that God graces you to carry, but it's one that comes with a, uh, a weight that uh, needs others in that same space to be able to align with you. So uh, for C&I, uh, Justin and Anna, I want you guys to know that uh, they are that to us. Galatians 6 says, carry each other's burdens. They are burden carriers for us. And uh, hopefully we are able to uh, reciprocate that back to them. I feel like they've done a lot more burden carrying for us than we have for them. Uh, but I appreciate you guys so much, Justin and Anna, and just love you guys. And so uh, grateful to be ministering in your uh, pulpit today. And uh, I don't take responsibility lightly. Okay, Matthew chapter 5. Let's go there together. It'll be on the screen as well. Teaching about salt and light. You are the salt of the earth. Mm, salty. <laughs> That's what Jesus was saying. Are you guys not familiar with that term, salty? That's what happens when you lose and you get real cranky after you lose Monopoly and you get cranky and you throw the board. Someone says, mm, salty. I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about. What good is salt if it has lost its flavor? What, good, what purpose does something serve if it's no longer serving the purpose for which it was created? Can it be made salty again? No, it can't. See, this, this little passage, this is all about purpose. This is, just, this is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about purpose. What purpose does salt serve? It serves a very unique purpose. Well, if it's not serving that unique purpose, is it still going to be used for that purpose? No, it'll be uh, thrown out, trampled underfoot. Uh, verse 14, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp. Once again, this is about purpose. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. What's the purpose of a lamp? Well, it's obvious. It's placed on a stand where it gives light to every in the house but friends this this passage is not about salt and light as a metaphor it's wrapped up very simply in verse 16 where Jesus says in the same way everyone say in the same way which means whatever revelation you can take out of the first couple of verses about being salt and light, apply it now to your own life in this way. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Jacob, I'll just throw that to you. There's not enough room for it on my pulpit today. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word to us today. We thank you that you're a God that intends that we would uh, leave changed every time we gather. And so I pray that that would be the case for my life and the lives of my brothers and sisters today, that we would be changed by your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, here's a simple thought for you this morning that I hope uh, resonates in your mind. If you're a note taker, then uh, I encourage you to be, uh, write this one down. Uh, we aren't just saved from something, but we are saved for something. As faith-filled followers of Christ, Jesus didn't give his life so that we could gather or hunker down on a Sunday and then live the rest of our week, the rest of our days, in something that doesn't look reflective of what he has done for us. We aren't just saved from something, but we are saved for something. We recently just uh, had a funeral in Lifehouse for a, uh, an amazing man of God. Some of you may be... <coughs> familiar with him. He's a bit of a legend in Coffs Harbor. His name's Ken Harrigan and uh, he, he part of the Harrigan clan which is well known around Coffs. Anyway, this man, 89 years old, loved and served Jesus for the majority of his life, faithful to the core and, and just celebrated in every way knowing that this man now stands in eternity. 
You see, heaven is an exciting place for us to hold in our hearts as the ultimate destination that Christ is leading us to. But the simple thought that goes along with that is that if heaven's so good and we all can't wait to be there, yet God who is also so good has not yet taken us there, there must be a reason why we're still here. We're not just saved from something, the sin and the death, but we're saved for something, a purpose to live out on this earth. What happens... When we live with getting to heaven as our ultimate destination or, or ultimate purpose, I just, I just want to live uh, the way I need to live so I get there in the end. What happens to people of faith is we turn our purpose for, from what God's called us to achieve on this earth and we, we shift that focus into living with morality being at becoming our highest responsibility. Now, morality is talked all the way through Matthew 5, 6 and 7. God's talking about behavior. Jesus is talking that way, so we don't want to downplay that. But when it becomes the sole focus of how I'm going to spend every day, this is what happens. When morality becomes our reference point or what defines us, we as a faith-filled followers of Christ, we as Christians can so easily become people who are exclusive and hierarchical. Now, this friends, is exactly the way things were when Jesus first came to the earth. The religious leaders of the day, known as the Pharisees, the ones who had the loudest voice in what would be known as the, the church, it's not the church, it's a completely different system, but the leaders in that space had become so fixated on getting every single rule right that they had lost their connection with the source of the rules and more importantly, the purpose for which they were given. You know, the art of a magician, and I tell you what, if there was any two-year-olds in the building today, I could be popular, because the art of, oh, we got one. The art of a magician is to make you focus on something. I found this little pick on the ground. <laughs> to make you focus on something. Macy, look, look, I want to show you something. See, Macy, look. Yeah, come here. See this? This is... See this pick? I'm going to make it disappear. You ready? You've got to watch it closely. It's in this hand, and now I'm going to put it in this hand. So it's in this hand. All right? Where's it gone? In my hand? Which one? Okay. You reckon it's in there? Open it. Oh, where is it? I'll tell you where it is. It's behind your ear. Can you find it? Come here. Let me see it. Oh, what? It was behind your ear. Wow. Give it up for Macy this morning, people. Please tell me that was filmed because that is impossible. That is, that is the definition of miraculous if you've never, never experienced it. The art of a magician, as you just saw demonstrated is to cause the audience to focus or the people that you're doing the, the trick for to focus on something that is not relevant at all. Look, it, it's up here. Focus here, focus here. While all the, all, everything else is going over there. You know, the Bible tells us that the devil, he is our number one trickster. And he is going to do everything he can. He's not going to come in with, a, with an authority over your life. He's got none. He can't come in with a weapon that can destroy you or your faith. That's, been, that's already taken care of. 
But what he can come in and do is say, hey, would you turn your focus over here? Put your eyes over here, fixate over here. Well, isn't that what he did in the garden? (laughs) Adam, look over here. Don't look at the plethora of blessing God's given you. Look at this one little space over here that you haven't quite worked out a theology for yet. Galatians tells us that the law that was given by God wasn't given so that we would be people who would be able to fill it, but rather fulfill it, but rather like a mirror shows us our own face, so the law would show us our own soul. And in the revelation of seeing our own soul, we would all respond in the same way with knees hitting the floor saying, God, I need a savior. And then Jesus enters the story. And you'd think that that would be a miraculous thing. Jesus coming in and, and, and living the way he did and doing what he did, that people would turn their attention towards him and see, ah, this is him, the fulfillment of the law. And yet, when Jesus entered the earth, you know it, he couldn't even find a place in his own story. Acts chapter 10 tells us that he went around uh, destroying the work of the devil and doing good. That was his mandate. Uh, Acts 10 38 says that when Peter's preaching to the Gentiles for the first time. This is who Jesus was. He went around doing good. He went around ending the work of the devil. And now we see Jesus in the story. And I'm just going to bring you to John chapter 9 and talk about one occasion where Jesus did something more miraculous than making a little pick disappear. He healed a man born blind. I want to draw your attention here because I want to, I just want to go a little bit further deeper into the ugly part of this story before we launch into, I guess, what God's really got for us today. You see, in, in John chapter 9, Jesus heals a man born blind. And you would think that response to that would be awe and wonder and let's hear from this man because he's obviously got something on his life that we don't. Instead, the religious leaders were so confused by him that they called the man that was uh, healed in and they asked him a second time about his healing. So they go, verse 24. So for the second time, they called in the man who had been blind and told him God should get the glory for this because we know this man Jesus is a sinner. Why? Because he'd done the healing and many others on the Sabbath day. I think Jesus was doing this on purpose. Why? Because Jesus sometimes likes to to mess with some of the things that we formulate around who God is so that we can put God in a box that we feel comfortable with. Friend, you will never be a comfortable Christian because the term is an oxymoron. God always lives outside of your comfort zone. And so he, he doesn't allow that to take place. So, the, so now listen to the narrative of this. You can't be from God because you are doing something, although we can't explain this thing that you're doing because it, it is miraculous beyond our comprehension, but because you didn't tick this box, you can't align with who God is. So they called the man in, and this is how he responds. He says, uh, a bit of a lot translation here. He says, geez, you blokes talking to the Pharisees, you blokes are supposed to have a handle on on how all this, but you guys are asking me all the questions. Do you guys want to follow Jesus as well? I love it. He was being sarcastic. He was sticking it to them. Don't forget, this guy has never seen anyone. He was born blind. He's never seen anyone before in his life. Instead of running out and experiencing the wonder of what his eyes can now lay hold of, he's got all these blokes dressed up in all funky outfits in front of him. He's going, maybe I should go back to the way I was. Verse 28, he says, do you, well, he says, do you guys want to follow Jesus? Then verse 28, listen to what they said. Then they cursed him. I just find this humorous and hilarious. 
They cursed him. You are his disciple. You reckon this guy gives a stuff about anything they're saying right in this moment? He woke up in the morning blind. He's now not. You're his disciple, yeah? And you're ugly. Like, whatever, right? (laughs) But we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses. We've got our own box sorted out. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. You, verse 34, were born a total sinner, they answered. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. That is a marvel. When morality becomes the lens, it determines how we view everything that takes place instead of understanding that God's on the move. Now, we might hear that and go, yeah, that, it, it is shocking a lot, but that was just the way that the, the leaders talked about it. Friends, let me show you how deep this goes. Go with me to the very first uh, verse in John chapter 9. Uh, this is Jesus walking with his disciples, fishermen, the, 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 the men that, he, that we would say, yeah, we align with those guys. They're more like us. As he was walking along, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. Rabbi, his disciples, asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Think about the question, his own sins. He was born blind. Did he, do, did he commit some atrocity in the womb, Lord? Did he just kick his mum too hard one day and the punishment was cast upon him, blindness for the rest of his life? Oh no, maybe it was his parents. See, when morality becomes your lens, everything that takes place on earth then has to find its reference to that and everything bad that happens must be from the punishment that God has for people. A very concerning way to live. He's obviously facing this, right, God, because, of, because you're punishing him. You know, when Jesus came to the earth, this was, this was the view. It would become so warped that this was the view God, people had of God. He sees your sin and he's removed himself from you. Here's a big question that I want to ask today, and that is, not what do people think about who God was 2,000 years ago, but what do people outside of the church think God thinks about them today? And where does that narrative come from? Does the voice of the church raise itself the loudest on issues of morality? Or does it raise itself the loudest on letting people who don't yet know that God is a father and really, 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 really loves them and can't wait for them to be a part of his family? Does the message they hear, the one that was spoken way back then, that God's distanced himself from you and when this is all over, it's going to end in your punishment? You know, something I actually find remarkable about Jesus. You know, some things are are like, yep, you can read on, but here's something I find remarkable. He is the one man who followed every single rule perfectly, yet he never allowed following the rules to be what he was known for. In fact, it was Jesus who took the 613 rules that everyone was so desperately trying to follow or, let me say this, wanted to be known for following. And he turned that into a phrase that could be summed up in four words, love God, love people. Now, I'm not taking away the complexities of that, but let's just keep it simple the way Jesus did. If it doesn't look like an act of worship towards God, don't do that thing. And if it doesn't look like an outward expression of love being sacrificed and putting your others above you, if it doesn't look like that towards others, don't do that thing. 
You don't need to know everything under the sun to know if you're lifting up God and you're building up people, you can walk in alignment with the morality that God has for you. Now that, thank you Jesus, he simplified all that down. Now that, that gives us a very simple understanding of what not to do. But friend, I haven't come today to talk about what not to do as much as I've come to talk about the mission that Jesus Christ came with and that was to sort out what was the issue so that we could live a different way. He came so that he could give us this simple reference point of how to, what to rule out of our life so that we could put our focus and our attention on being of a different kind, the salt and the light of the world. So in these last minutes with me, let's just chew on what that means for us today. In Philippians, 2, uh, Philippians chapter 2, we're told that Jesus uh, left the privilege and the honor of heaven to come to earth as a man. And being the image of Jesus, sorry, with that, with that, just quickly, uh, leaving heaven to come to earth, it wasn't like Luke chapter 10 where the son left the father and said, I can't wait to be out of this house. Dad, you never do anything that I want to do. Give me my inheritance. I'm out of here. Jesus was the exact exact opposite. Jesus left heaven with the blessing of the Father saying, Heavenly Father, everything that you're doing in this place, I'm going to take to that place. When Jesus left heaven, he didn't leave heaven in heaven, he brought heaven with him. You've heard the saying, you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. That's why I wore my boots and my flanny. Because I spent four years in Moree and now I think I'm a country boy. You know, when I'm, when, I, when I'm in Moree and I'm telling a similar story, I say, you know what it's like? You, can't take, you can take the boy off the coast, but you can't take the coast out of the boy. Hey, isn't it sick, lad, frothing mad times, going off something. <laughs> you can say the same about Jesus. I said all good things there for anyone who thought I was speaking in tongues and you needed the interpretation you can say the same about Jesus you can take Jesus out of heaven but you can't take heaven out of Jesus the significance of this for us is that what Jesus brought to the earth he intends for us to keep taking to the earth in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us how to pray. I'm, I'm assuming that as you journey through, uh, you're going to get to this point. But I just want to uh, steal one line out of this prayer. You know, this prayer still uh, becomes the most simple reference point for faith, people of faith to communicate with God. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, he, uh, well, firstly, he honors God for who he is. And then he says this, but chapter 6, verse 10, May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. I love the message paraphrase of this scripture. It says, set the world right. Do what's best. As above, so below. This prayer, prayed 2,000 years ago by Jesus, as the prayer that we were given to pray. We've been praying it ever since. And Jesus is saying, hey, pray with me that what my Father is doing right now in heaven would be outworked on this earth today. Let's pray that the outworking of that wouldn't be something that we hunker down in here and hope takes place but rather let it be his will that fills our life as we go be that very thing 
This is the powerful reminder that our mission on this earth is not just to gather together on a Sunday, which I am obviously going to endorse because I'm a senior pastor of a church. But I am aware that when Jesus instigated the church, his greatest hope and desire is not that people would gather on Sunday, but rather that people would move from the gathering and go to the doing. Jesus invited everyone to come, but he commanded everyone to go. There's an open invitation to come, but friend, once you get the revelation of who he is, there's no just staying in the little, you know, there is no hunkering down. That is not the faith we've been given. We've been given a go faith. Jesus walks on the earth and there's lepers. The reference, the, 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 the understanding of what would take place when a leper would come into a space where they weren't allowed to come is people would clear out. What does Jesus do? He runs in. This is a, Jesus said, Ephesians 6, we're told, we are not fighting against flesh and blood. Friend, our war is not against people. Our war is against systematic values that have robbed people of experiencing just how good God is. But we get to be people that bring changes into those spaces. We don't have to have the answer for everything to know that we can take a little bit of heaven into someone's world tomorrow. The most important question that I'm going to ask you today is not, did you enjoy the service? But how are you going to take heaven into someone's world tomorrow? If Jesus Christ lives in you, then heaven lives in you. And God's intention is that people who don't yet know Him would get to experience it through you. The proof of Jesus on this earth today is not people that gather on Sunday, but rather people who live for Him Monday to Saturday, all the days, and give people a taste of that. You read in the Old Testament, taste and see that the Lord is good. Well, people, they're, only, they're not going to their Bibles themselves to discover it. People are going to you to discover it. You are the reference point. In Genesis, we're told that everything was made after its likeness so that it could produce in its likeness. Whose likeness were you made after? The Bible says that we were made in the image of God so that we could give people the experience of God. You might sit there this morning and go, you know what, it's great. Uh, I, I really hope that that's what the church is going to be, but I've never really seen myself as someone who carries heaven and will give people an experience of it, so I'll just leave that to, prof to the professionals. It's a, fair, it's a fair response. I'll leave that to the people who are paid to do it, the pastors, you know, that's their job. In the story of John chapter 9, I love how Jesus answers that. And uh, was it Robin? Robin? Robin. Holy Spirit. <laughs> He's always creeping up on me. <laughs> Thank you, Robin. You did say she was in the Spirit. She knew. So... The disciples, I asked Jesus the question, I read it before, was it this man's sin or was it his parents' sin? I love Jesus. Jesus doesn't respond with the, with the answer of the values that they already know. He is ushering in a new kingdom. So he says in John chapter 9, verse 3, one of my most favorite lines that Jesus spoke, 
it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. You're looking through a lens that doesn't apply anymore. Jesus, Jesus said that. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. Friends, this is what you need to know. God is not looking for people who you or I would think would be the best people to be used for kingdom advancement. He is looking for those who may think they don't have much to offer, like this man born blind, but are willing to allow the power of God to be seen in them. That's all God wants from you. Would you let His power be revealed in and through you, through the words you speak and the actions of your life, through your pursuits and through the things that you're willing to sacrifice, through what you're willing to lay down and what you're willing to pick up. Friends, we are not on this earth so that, uh, let me speak over the business owners in this place. I, I pray, and I say this to my own church, I pray that the business owners in this building would be the most successful business owners that this world has ever seen. Not so that you can build McMansions. I, I hope you live in a, in, a, in a great way. But friend, if God enables you to build great wealth, He's doing it so that someone on this earth who's not currently experiencing who God is can experience it through you. What we're doing now is we're going, well, where does this thought meet outside? Well, friend, just go as simple as this. Just say, if it's not happening on heaven, in heaven, then I don't want it to happen on earth, and I've got to speak over that, and I've got to live according to that. But if it is happening in heaven, then I do want it to happen on earth. So we can just look at some things from those two perspectives, and let me just grab the ones uh, of what the Bible says isn't happening. The Bible says there is no lack in heaven. No lack whatsoever. But you know what? There is lack all around us on this earth. So where does the faith-filled follower of Christ fit in? We don't go in and have to change everything. You can't change everything. But friend, if God has given you an opportunity somewhere to be generous with what He has given you, then you have the opportunity to bring a taste of heaven into someone's world today. And that's as simple as it is. The Bible says there is no sickness in heaven, not one bit. Friend, there is sickness everywhere on this earth. I don't know why that's the case, but my responsibility isn't to come up with a doctrine that explains why there is. My responsibility is to say, if it's not in heaven, then it doesn't have to be on earth. I'm going to take the name of Jesus into all of those spaces, and I'm going to pray that He would do what only He can do, regardless of the outcome that happens when I pray. That's His job. The Bible says that there's no fear in heaven. Friend, people are fearful today in a way that I've not previously experienced. In my growing up days, I just felt like growing up here in Coffs Harbour, it, it just felt free, but yet people live in fear. And yet the Bible says that because Christ lives in you, you've got a peace in your life that goes beyond all understanding. You didn't make it up. The world didn't give it to you. Where's it coming from? What that scripture is saying, the one I just referenced, is it goes, your security is not based on the security that this world finds its security from. You've got, a, you've got a security from a different world. What is it? It's called heaven. Friend, when you go into a space where there is fear, you can take the peace of God into a space. It doesn't have a reference point that people are looking for, so what is it? Well, it's got to be something else. Friends, that's what you carry. The Bible says that there's no pain in heaven. Oh, what a day that's going to be. No grief. There's grief and pain everywhere. I don't cry in front of my own church. I am not going to cry here. <laughs> Stay with me. 
The Bible says that we've been given the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's name is the Comforter. We might be able to take the pain away, but we can bring something that overcomes pain. It's called comfort. And Jesus has given that as our resource to be people. I say it again. You don't have to be awesome at anything to have God's power at work within you. Let your awesomeness be, okay, God, I don't think I'm right for this job, which is basically the narrative of every single person in the Old Testament. (laughs) I don't think I'm right for this job. But if you allow God's power to be at work in you, then He will give someone else an experience of heaven through you. Last week, one of the uh, members of our congregation, this beautiful family, have a, uh, a, a daughter. Uh, I think she's 14 now. She's extremely uh, disabled. There's high, high needs. And uh, I know the journey that this family has walked through, and they, they just they love their girl, obviously. But, you know, there's been a journey to go through with that. It's 24-7 care. It's, it's, it's full on. Well, just last week, she was, uh, you guys know we've got this playhouse thing where the kids come and on Sundays, uh, the playhouse opens at midday for the public. But quite often, because our service finishes at 11 and there's people there, people just rock up in that time. And so I call this time the, uh, the accidental awkward conversations where you go up to someone who you think's new to the church and you say, oh, hi, you know, my name's Lottie, I'm the pastor here, I haven't seen you before. And they're like, oh, hi, I'm, uh, I'm here to play on the playhouse. <laughs> Awkward, accidental, and then community starts to form out of that conversation as you just go, oh, well, here we are. I like awkward. I've got better at it as I've got older. Literally meaning I bring awkward everywhere I go. <laughs> so this lady, she's walking through and she's going to get one of her children, one of her other children. And Lexi was actually there that day, I, the, the daughter, and, but she was going to get one of her other children. She's walking through and she sees a, a, a lady uh, sitting. And, um, and as she's walking through, she just feels like the Holy Spirit says, talk to that lady. Now, it takes guts to allow the power of God to move through you. I'm not denying that. But she did. She just sat down and said, hey, I just felt like I had to come over and say hello. That's exactly what she said. She starts a conversation with this lady and finds out she's a refugee. She didn't come to Australia legally. She was escaping. So she came illegally, which means the avenues for getting a visa are completely different. She's been here for nine years. She doesn't have a visa. What does that mean? It doesn't just mean that, you know, she may be deported. What it means is that she doesn't have access to all of the things that are helpful to you and I when we find ourselves in a situation where we need external help. She doesn't have access to those things. She then goes on to find out that she is the primary carer for her 24-year-old sister who needs full-time care in a scenario much like this lady's daughter. It could not have been a more perfect alignment. So my friend starts talking and, and she says, what would you do if you just had two hours that you had no responsibility in your home for? She says, I would just sleep. Some parents of young children going, oh, what a dream. 
So the conversation, start, it started with, hey, I just felt like I need to come speak to you. It's now moved on to where this, this person is, is walking through a journey of support. She wasn't just able to say, oh, I know what that's like. Oh, oh, oh I, I don't know what that is. She says, hey, do you know what? We're walking through the same journey and I'd love to walk it with you. I just can't imagine that girl rocked up that day alone or feeling alone and she walked out that day with a friend who had prayed for her, prayed with her and said, I'm going to follow you up to continue. It's not, a, it's not a crazy story of someone having a huge life transformation. It's, a, it's not actually about the woman that was helped as much as it was about the woman who was willing. Because you're going to get your own stories. If you're willing. Salt and light of a different kind and yet of the kind we were always intended to be. The one that would bring the favour and the love of Jesus to this earth. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word to us today. Your word meets us where we're at but never leaves us where we're at. That's the intention of it. It's so that we would always be moving forward in our faith, in our Christ-likeness as you are desperately designed to reveal yourself in and through us more and more day by day. And so God, I just pray for over uh, this church this morning. I thank you for their heart for worship. I thank you for the love they have for each other. And Lord, I thank you for what is already taking place as they step out of these uh, the walls of this building and Lord in that space I ask for an increase I ask for an increase of saltiness and an increase of brightness Lord that uh, that just as uh, when the light is flicked uh, the light switch is flicked in a room uh, it doesn't become this great tussle between light and darkness darkness flees John 1 5 the, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it I thank you that the people in this room Lord God and the, the people of C3 Church in Coffs Harbour Lord God are going to walk into the community uh, today tomorrow all their days Lord with a reference uh, not the reference point being I hope I live morally sound but rather I can't wait to be salt and light I can't wait to be a heaven bringer for people today I can't wait to give people an experience that doesn't match the same values that people are living out on this world on this earth I can't wait to not desire recognition for the things I'm doing or being made popular in the groups of acceptance I can't wait to not have to bow to those things so I can live in the freedom of serving and loving others the way you've created me to and Lord I speak that over this church today that it would be filled with people who are salt bearers and light bringers Lord, that everywhere they go, they would bring a different flavour, one that preserves the life that you've come to bring, and Lord, one that dispels the darkness and all its power, that God, that everywhere their footsteps, just like it says in Joshua, would be territory that is yours, as you use them to bring heaven to earth. And I thank you for that today, in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church. A um, couple of questions I would like to ask you um, as we unpack that or this is you mentioned right at the start there was, there was a switch for you uh, as a young person from seeing churches I have to to I get to. Yeah. Can you just in a couple of seconds, what, what was that transition for you? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, it, it all comes out of a revelation of not who I am but more who God is. The more you know who he is, the more you hunger and desire to be in his presence, but also with his people. It's quite a unique thing because I can be in his presence at home by myself and some of the, I'm in, naturally, I'm an introvert. Liar. I, 
Really? Are you serious? 100%. What wow. does it mean to be an introvert? It means that you recharge your life away from people. So I love being away from people. I'm doing this role because this is what God has called me to do. But this would not be my pick of the way I would spend my life. And that's not said so that people go, oh, how noble of him. No, that's just me saying I've come to know myself more and I know that I, I, I'm introverted naturally. Uh, but the more I know who God is, understanding even Father, Son, Holy Spirit, it's community. It's all community. And I cannot become the person he's made me to be outside of that, no matter how much content I get from uh, you know, external sources and no matter how much time I spend alone in his presence, I cannot become who he's called me to be outside of community. So that wasn't an overnight understanding. Now, when I was a teenager, it was more just about I wanted to be surfing, not be, not be in a building, right? I wanted to be outside in the, on, the, on the grass or on the beach. But it was as, as my faith grew and as my revelation of who God grew, it became a very natural step for me to want to be with God's people. That's my revelation on that. It's almost like the, the, the more you know God, the more you love God, the more you want what he wants. Very um, naturally, without yeah. without uh, making that happen. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. All I can say is it was a very natural progression. Yeah. Awesome. Um, the morality thing. Why, why do we? Why do we gear towards it? What, what's what's going It's on a great with us question. It's a great question. We just it's a great question. The reason why we gear towards morality is because we are we are sinful people, and we, we do love to be able to uh, move ourselves up. It's just a very natural thing. We love to be able to elevate ourselves. But friend, if you if your theology, which means your understanding of God, allows you to be elevated at any point above another person, then you do not know God. Do you want to just say that one more time? So theology is your understanding of yep. God. If your theology ever allows you to be above someone, then you do not know God. You know something, but it's not God. So when I was in Maury, uh, we planted the church there, and, and, and God really taught me some things there. And uh, one of the things that he taught me was this. In fact, I would say this was my number one lesson. Being better at something than someone does not make you better than someone. But the moment you think you're better than someone, your ability to genuinely serve them is gone. And if we're not here to serve, then what are we here for? So I think morality just finds itself very neatly in a system that Jesus came to abolish. And, or, or fulfill, if you want to say, I fulfilled the law. He said, I was perfect so that you could live out your perfection in me, not in yourself. When we, when we live according to our own morality, we remove Jesus from the picture. Because he said, if you can't fulfill it all, then you are under the punishment of it all. So I can set my morality really high in a measure against you, which is easy, but... That's fair. That's a fair point. It's a little yeah. joke there, friends. Little joke there. Yeah, I can set. I'm going back to therapy tomorrow, so it's fine. Whatever. <laughs> Once again, here we go. Six a.m. tomorrow morning. I'll spin you to freedom. Okay. So, so I can set my morality against you, and I can and I can place myself somewhere where I feel good about myself. But that is an empty feeling of goodness when, when a revelation of who God is. You know, it, one thing I love about the Apostle Paul is you can follow his journey of how he writes. And, he, and isn't it incredible how he says, uh, he says, hey, um, I'm equal to the apostles 
follow his journey. He writes, uh, I'm the least of all the apostles. Follow his journey. The last thing he says is, heck, there is some sinners on this earth and of all of them added up, I am the worst. Is he moving away from God? No, he's moving closer. It's not about self-depreciation as much as it is about knowing what I've been safe from so that I don't think what I've been safe for is a measure of how much better I am than others. It just keeps me free from that. This is, this, you keep going. This is good. Wow. I'm really passionate about that one because... Yeah. Um, I learned this through pain, as we often do learn things. When I was 23 years old, I, I was in, a, in a, just a, a youth pastor role, as you were here, and I love that our journeys have shared so much similar time. And Anyway, the, I was just hungering after God, and, and uh, I was away at a conference. It was called Planet Shakers up in Brisbane, and, and I, read, I was reading through Kings, and uh, it was when we had a few kids. I can't remember how many, but C was in, uh, I was staying in dormitories. C was in a hotel. We hardly saw each other all week. Week, but she, ha- she was just with kids all week. So I said, hey, in the afternoon break, I'll come and look after the kids as long as you put them to bed. <laughs> well played, well played. <laughs> and you go out shopping with, with, you know, the guys. And so I'm in this room, my kids are asleep, and I'm reading the Bible, and uh, reading Kings, sorry, and, and it says throughout that, you know, so-and-so was a good king, but uh, they failed to remove all of the idols from the land. And, and that line repeats itself regularly, right, through in, in different ways. Anyway, so I read that passage, and I go, God, I know I'm the youth pastor of all these students, but I can't remove the idols from their lives. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me as clear as I've ever heard him. He says, well, that's great because I don't expect you to remove the idols from their lives. I expect you to remove the idols from your life. I go, can I have the other Holy Spirit, please? <laughs> anyway, the, 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 the course I choose to take from that is to go on a, on a fast, right? Because I go, well, I've, I've got an idol in my life. It's called pride. And so I go on this fast and I say, I'm going to not, I'm, 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 I'm only going to, uh, I have to tell you uh, to it so, so you get the context of it, but don't worry, it doesn't end well for me. But I, so I say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a water-only fast for 21 days. And in that time, I'm not going to spend $1 on myself. I'm going to fill up my car with petrol and do what I need to do. I'm not, uh, but I'm not going to spend a dollar on myself. I'm not going to uh, have any content in my world except for uh, the Bible. That's all I'm going to do for those 21 days. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to shower for 21 days. I'm not going to brush my teeth for 21 days. I'm not going to draw, uh, comb my hair for 21 days. I, I am going to do everything that I can do to kill pride in my life. I'm going to do that. So what I did for 21 days is all those things that I just said, much to the discomfort of my wife. And at the end of 21 days, I I came out of that as a self-proclaimed super-Christian. And for the next nine months, I had the worst experience of my spiritual life as I elevated myself, which I was trying to kill, the pride within me, I only elevate it. Paul says, why do I do the thing that I don't want to do? And, and Paul says, well, you know, that's how the law works. You say, you're not going to do it, you're not going to do it, you're not going to do it, next thing I'm doing it. Well, that was my experience. And it was coming out, I came out of that really hard, really, uh, and, and I reckon that I was this close to losing my ministry, losing the path that God had for me. I think God was in it all, right? And I was this close to, to being removed, I would say, from my youth pastor role and whatever. But um, I was in a meeting with someone and I said, hey, Steve and I, who's my 
pastor, Steve and I are going to come to loggerheads on this and one of us is going to have to leave. And it was, and the person sitting across from the table from me said, don't say that, it doesn't have to end that way. And I promise you, there was nothing physical, but it was like in that moment, scales fell from my eyes and all of a sudden I knew I was in rebellion. I, I went home, I read a book by John Bevere called Undercover. I went to Steve, I put myself before him like in a real awkward way on my knees, sort of say, I am so sorry, I'm so sorry, da, da, da. you know, I don't deserve to be. And God spoke to me after that. Uh, about in the next three weeks and he, and he said you this was the clearest besides that other point where I've heard God speak he said you will serve this man and woman that was Stephen Bev for as long as they're in ministry and then the course of my life was set on just saying yes to whatever they asked me to do and on uh, June 18 or June 24 2018 Stephen Bev handed over a baton of leadership to C&I to take on the church life house so I don't know why I told you that whole story but God bless you people that's how I learned. That's how I learned. This is your therapy no, session now. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, that's so. how I learned about, yeah, not, you, you, can't, you can't elevate yourself with morale. You can't do it. You cannot do it. You can try, and it'll only elevate you. Well, I've got a few more questions, but we might just leave it at that. I think that's amazing. Go one more. One Let more me question. end on a nicer one. You mentioned earlier, like, a, a lot of, Coastal slang that you just threw out there. Ah, yes. Mad frosters, mate. What's some country slang that you could sort of throw out to us? Mate. Hey? Yeah, okay. In, in country slang, you, you, you just say it with, with what you wear. So you just get your RMs, you yeah. get your Akubra, yeah. you, you wear your right belt, yeah. and you just walk slowly, and you talk slowly, and you just fit right in, mate. You get a motorbike, you chase pigs, you do it all. And you never say frothing. No, well, you wouldn't. Why would and you? And you never say sick, yeah, no. lad. Love it. <laughs> and that is how we shall end today. Ah, <laughs> oh, frothing.